to do that, especially when I started my business and I was a one-woman show from the back room at home, I just didn't have the resources to do it. Uh, but while the business um, grew and I managed to bring in some more um, resources for the operational side and I had the resources, then the time was right to be able to support those markets properly. Because it's one thing to say, yeah, let's expand to all markets. But the, the bigger question is, do I have the resources? Do I have the infrastructure to support and give a good impression to um, the people that I work with in those markets? Because you have one chance. If you go there and you look unprofessional, unprepared, you don't know the market, then you're going to lose the chance. And it's a, beauty is a small industry. So you, the reputation is a big deal. And you have to do things that um, reinforce a good reputation in the market. So, yeah, you just have to be ready for it. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Over the last four years of this show, I've detailed the habits, routines, and rituals of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Where I found I needed a little help was in my evening routine, especially how I unwind before bed. Do you have a routine or do you leave it to chance? Some of the most talked about things you can do include putting your phone down, switching your screen off an hour or so before bed, stretching, taking a hot shower, and not eating rich food or drinking alcohol too close to bedtime. These are great ideas, but not everybody's lifestyle can accommodate them. Which is why I decided to take a deep sleep nootropic called Boost, brought to you by Pure Sports CBD called Unwind. It helps you both get to sleep and helps your sleep quality too. So I've partnered with Pure Sports CBD to provide a premium and trusted natural product to help you as a busy entrepreneur go further. You can get 20% off their entire range by going to puresportcbd.com and entering the code JUSTDOIT20. That's just do it two zero. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and my very special guest this week, Maria Hatsistafanis. Maria is a London-based beauty entrepreneur. She founded her groundbreaking skincare group, Rodial, back in 1999. She identified a niche within the beauty market for specific skin concerns and has a growing global beauty empire with evocative tongue-in-cheek names such as Dragon's Blood and Snake Serum. She's got two brands, Rodial and the other, Nip and Fab, 
is sold through 20,000 doors across 35 countries worldwide, including Harvey Nicks and Saks Fifth Avenue. I reconnected with Maria on Clubhouse after originally interviewing her for this podcast a couple of years ago. We had an awesome day out at her offices in Chelsea. As we were recording this interview, just coming out of the pandemic in the UK with lockdown restrictions easing, we jumped on a live Zoom and had a great conversation about international markets and how to expand into them. I think this will be super interesting for those of you with ideas to grow and scale their businesses. She's been incredibly successful with a $100 million beauty brand, and I think you are going to really enjoy this one. So we talk about a whole bunch of different subjects during this, as well as expanding your business to international markets. We also talk about remembering that different parts of the world have different preferences, that you have to cater to the different needs of your different markets, how it's good to hire locally to understand the market and your consumers more, and the biggest lessons from the pandemic, including paying attention to your digital marketing, your website, and how you interact and communicate with your target audience. Without further ado, screw it, just do it. Maria Hatzistafanis. I'm joined today by Maria Hatzistafanis. We are going to be talking about international markets, something that Maria might know a little bit about. She is the founder of the Rodeo of Rodeo Beauty. She's the author of best-selling books, um, How to Be an Overnight Success and Make It Happen. And she's also host of the Top 10 podcast, Make It Happen. Did I get that right? Well, it's overnight success, but you're very close. it it could be you you give me an idea for another title so thank you for that (laughs) there you go exactly um so look getting getting right into it maria so you founded your business in 1999 um few years ago now um and you know your innovative products are now in 35 countries globally um simple question how did you reach such a global presence What were some of the things that you did initially to go from like one country to two countries to three countries to four countries? Um, So what I did um, a lot at the at the beginning of my journey is um, I visited a lot of trade shows globally. Um, For me, this is the quickest way to get access to international markets. So um, there is uh, this amazing show in Italy, in Bologna. It's called Cosmoprof and all the beauty companies are there. They go. We took a booth, uh, invested in making it look amazing. And then uh, we had people from all over the world, Japan, Italy, Germany. And at the beginning, I was doing about four shows a year, just going there and and meeting and talking to people and following up. So um, I feel with any business that wants to go global, you just have to be out there and talking about your brand to everything and and, and anyone. So I did a lot of that. And do you still do that? I know we haven't been able to do that for, say, the last 15 months, but do you still attend trade shows or do you send like a delegation from, from Rodeo? 
Um, we haven't done trade shows in about five years now. At the beginning, we're doing a lot of them. Um, I think after a point, we have uh, our distribution that's pretty much set right now. We are available in 35 countries. Uh, so for me to just go, and it's a big investment, it's also a little bit of a disruption. So to go there to just find one investor, it's it's just not worth it anymore. Um but, uh, you know, now we go to LinkedIn a lot. We also get approached by distributors. Um, and there's there's only a handful of countries that we really want to expand that we're not in. Um, and then the other thing is that there's a lot of bigger organizations that um, go across many countries. So, for example, you have like the Douglas, which is a major European um, website, and it's available in 20 countries. So you kind of have a lot of uh, big distributors that go along the con different continents and you don't need to be with so many independent ones. You can go with groups and that gives you a bigger distribution. Okay. And um, when, you, when you were starting out, was there, you know, one country that you were like, ultimately, I want my products to be found in that country and consumed by people from that country? And I'm thinking America, but equally it could be another country. Uh, definitely America, and it's uh, it's our second country right now. Um, that this is a, a market that we directly um, manage, so we don't have a distributor there. We actually have a sales team. We have a, a sales director. So we've set up um, a little mini rodeo company in LA. And they manage the whole of North America, including Canada. Um, I find that um, th there's two ways to manage a market. One is to replicate what you have in your home market into the other market or get a distributor. Um, uh, but that would mean that you give them um, a higher margin. So, you know, there's a couple of ways to do it. But for us, the U.S. is, is our second biggest market. Behind the U.K.? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, how soon did you go to Greece, which is, you know, your, your home country originally? Um, we actually don't sell in Greece. Do you not? <laughs> no way. Clamoring uh, for your products. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, we do. Um, we do have a, a website that we ship all over the world, and it's actually the biggest part of our business. Um, it's uh, it's more about we which countries have the distribution channel already available for us to go that would fit the brand, um, rather than oh let's just be in this country because you know I was born in Greece or let's just uh, set up shop in Maldives because I'd like to go and visit once a year. <laughs> it's, it's, it's more about what is the country with the infrastructure of the type of stores that uh, we want our products in there. And that's the driving force for um, expanding in that market. Mm -hmm. And how long did it take you to grow from literally those kind of like the timelines from say like one country to two countries and two countries to, to double figures? <laughs> Uh, well, at the beginning, um, while I wanted to expand, it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, you do need to have the infrastructure. For example, um, when it comes to beauty products, there's a lot of um, registrations that need to be applied from anywhere, from Asia, 
um, including Japan, Hong Kong, uh, Thailand, even uh, UAE. There are a lot of countries out there that require extensive registration. And to do that, especially when I started my business and I was a one-woman show from the back room at home, I just didn't have the resources to do it. Uh, but while the business um, grew and I managed to bring in some more um, resources for the operational side and I had the resources, then the time was right to be able to support those markets properly. Because it's one thing to say, yeah, let's expand to all markets. But the, the bigger question is, do I have the resources? Do I have the infrastructure to support and give a good impression to um, the people that I work with in those markets? Because you have one chance. If you go there and you look unprofessional, unprepared, you don't know the market, then you're going to lose the chance. And it's a, beauty is a small industry. So you, the reputation is a big deal. And you have to do things that um, reinforce a good reputation in the market. So, mm. yeah, you just have to be ready for it. But um, all in all, I probably got uh, most of my distribution the first um, the first five years, um, the core of my distributors, and then the growth is not as fast. So mm. let's say I got the US, um, a few countries in Europe, then Asia came after. Uh, so you get a lot happening, especially when the business has traction the first five years, and then maybe you're adding one market a year. So it, it does slow down. Okay. What's um, Asia like for you? I could imagine that's pretty busy, popular market, would it not be? Uh, we started with uh, Hong Kong, and uh, that that was our first market 15 years ago. And um, it's a it's it's a great market because um, the people in Hong Kong really think the same way as uh, we think here in the UK. Um, so it's very easy to do business. You 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 speak the same business language. Um, mm -hmm. But equally, with uh, we have business business in Taiwan. Taiwan is um, one of the most memorable memorable trips I've, I've ever done. Um, Japan is quite interesting as well. Japan is more about TV shopping, and that's where people are focusing on. Um, so it's um, yeah, um, Asia is a little bit more complicated um, when it comes to registration. Um, also, the types of products that people buy are a little bit different. So um, let's say we have a tanning range that gives you a nice color and a glow, and that's what Europeans want. They want to look tanned and Americans. Mm -hmm. But then when you go to Asia, it's all about skin lightening, and it's a whole different set of products. So mm -hmm. what we do is um, we do have in mind that we do have that Asian customer. And when we develop new formulas, um, we just, uh, there's formulas that we specifically develop for that market that are more about uh, skin lightening and, and even skin tone. Um, so when you have a, um, a global audience, um, you really need to think about the product and make sure that um, you don't just target one audience. You have to cater to the different needs of um, your different markets. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, reminds me uh, when I chatted to the guys from Grays, you know, like the little boxes that originally were like posted through your letterbox and now you get them at oh, all, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. all the points. And, and they were saying when they... Um, when they launched in the US, um, they found, funnily enough, that the Americans 
had a completely different taste when it came to they launched with a full English range and they said luckily you know they'd built the the, the business on the back of the data that they would you know receive from the subscription model that they had so they're able to turn around a new product in like 24 hours but they said they literally had to turn around the entire range of products and nobody had thought that the Americans might not might not like the English products to start with but they they still managed to acquire I always remember chatting to Anthony Fletcher the CEO he said they managed to acquire 100,000 customers in 90 days in in America which is sounds pretty phenomenal to me but I know it's quite a low price point for their for their products as well well the other thing with the, the Americans is they're used to massive sizes so when you're a European brand the UK brand and you launch let's say a cleanser which is sort of you know maybe smaller than this uh you go to an american beauty store and they're like massive sizes because Uh, everything in the u.s is oversized so we've been asked many times to uh, look at the size of our packaging and develop double size and triple size of what we do in the uk to fit that market so when you go global these things come up and um, the your operation becomes slightly more complicated so yes it's it's great to expand uh but there's all those intricacies that come up that you have to be aware of and when you when you started with that um and like you said quite a few or a vast majority of the deals you did were distribution deals but you were going to to trade shows um and you launched like a a mini version of rodeo in in the u.s um does that combine like a love of travel for you or does it become not so enjoyable you know when you spend your life uh on an airplane or an airport lounges and in hotels and you know i know what it's like traveling your routine goes out the window and it's difficult more difficult to stay on track with your business but what's your experience been I mean, I love that life. I'm missing it. I, I can't sit here and say, oh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, being on a flight. Mm. Um, I love that, you know, I, I used to live that life. I used to be on a on a plane twice a month. And uh, I've been doing this for a very long time. And traveling for me and, and going and meeting our markets, it's what uh, gets me going, gives me new product ideas. Uh, I love to go and connect with every single market and do brainstorming sessions and really help them. And um, yeah, I am missing that lifestyle. And even though, you know, we can sit sit here and say, oh, you know, have Zoom now. So uh, everything can be done electronically. And it, it it's great. But then equally, uh, I am missing that life and I am going to go straight back into it when we're allowed. Yeah, I'm not going to change anything. I just sort of counting the days. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm the same. I have to admit, I, I do miss it. And I, I read something today, actually, and I, I can't remember which company, but it caught my attention. And it was some tech company saying that this, you know, once the, the UK eases back, I think, you know, from next Monday, isn't it, um, you know, into more face-to-face meetings and all that kind of thing was that they were going to do a no zoom Friday. So nobody was literally allowed to do any, any virtual meetings. And I just thought I quite like how somebody has come up with that idea in that business. And I'm sure it's going to be replicated across the world, but I I, I miss it as well. And, you know, those opportunities to meet people face-to-face be that at events or be that just going to another country and sampling that so I do miss it and I'm you know when I was at Virgin Atlantic which I was there for 16 years we used to meet people who'd be traveling in the upper class cabin and they would fly more than the crew or the pilots they would literally be on a plane 
I don't know, 15 times a month, like every other day they'd be on a plane. So it, it is a lifestyle. How do you balance it up? Because you've got a family as well. So um, is it a matter of spending more time with them when you're at home and it's just part of who you are and what you do and this is your DNA? Yeah, well, um, I have two boys there. Uh, they're teenagers now, so they want nothing to do with me. So that helps. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I embarrass them. So let's just leave zone. it at that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but usually what I do is I, um, I travel Monday to Friday. And Monday to Friday, they have their school. Everyone is busy with uh, their sports, with everything they do. And I don't really travel weekends. So um, a lot of my trips are, are super quick. So even if I go to New York, it could be 48 hours. So I stay to, for two nights. If I do LA, um, I would do sort of Monday and be back Friday evening or Saturday morning. Uh, so I'm always back on the weekends. And I find this is the time that we all connect as a family. Um, so yeah, I, when I go on a trip, I don't really luxuriate. You know, I wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to go to New York for two days and stay for another five just to be yeah. I'm very efficient so I, I that that makes it work so weekends yeah weekends are family yeah in and out no, I've reached that stage my, uh, my daughters are 12 and 14 and it's got to that stage where they're just organizing their own lives now and it's like you don't even <laughs> see them at the weekend so what can you do <laughs> um interested to know and I, I used to host a lot of events for the um american chamber of commerce in the uk and we'd often be using a case study of a business going to the us um, and what their experience was like and a common question that came up was you know do you utilize local knowledge or do you bring your own team in or is it a mixture of the two and when you went to the u.s how did that look for you? Did you did you leverage some local knowledge there, or did you bring people from the UK and, and drop them into the US and start start afresh from there? Um, we we hired locally, so all our team is um, is US um, US sourced and, and US based. Um, in, in our industry in beauty, you have to understand the sales channel. You have to understand how the American consumer shops, um, how the stores operate, also have the contacts with the store buyers um, and, and really speak the same language. Because I find that, yes, maybe we do speak the same language, UK and US, but um, there's a different way that you approach the customer there. The customer is is asking different questions. They have different concerns. They shop in a different way. Um, so always, always we've, we've hired uh, teams locally. Um, I mean, there is the connection with the UK and we make sure that we, either myself or some senior members of the team, travel to the US to keep that connection. And equally, we do have um, our US team, some of the senior members come over to the UK every couple of months. So we do have that connection. Um, but I find that local talent is necessary. Mm. And do you find it, and this often came up in the conversations with the businesses that have been to the US, is that it was more expensive to hire staff in the US or the right staff in the US than it was in the UK? Or do you, do you find that not, not the case? I mean, if you were to send staff to the US, wouldn't you have to pay expat packages and, and pay for all the travel and pay for accommodation and, mm. and, and school fees and all that? 
I can't even start to think how much that would cost. No. So I, I, I don't think, uh, I mean, if we found someone who was British and was great and already had uh, built a reputation in, in that country, but I do find that all the extras that you have to pay to move people over to another country are much rather highly local. Yeah, yeah. I, I always remember my best friend who moved um, from the UK to Dubai and he's just come back after nine years. But the the package that Barclays Bank put together for him to, to, to go over there and he was working, he was heading up the team uh, over there for like high net worth individuals. And the package they gave him was literally off, off the scale. And yet they shut the department down 12 months after they went there. And you just think, you're never going to recoup that money back. And it was like... <laughs> you know, multiple six figures to just send him and his wife and two kids out there. So um, I totally get that. Um, interested to know then, what have been some of the, the biggest challenges uh, for you? And, uh, and I, you know, maybe related to, you know, the, the international markets, how have you managed to keep your, your fingers on the pulse during the last 15 months where everything has been done virtually and you haven't been able to say, just take a flight and actually see, you know, on the ground, how's the distribution going? Um, how are the new products being accepted by that audience? So, um, yeah, maybe you could share some of those challenges that you had, particularly over the last 15 months or so. Um, so, the, the challenge that we've had is um, mostly about the stores uh, closing most of the year. So here in the UK, stores uh, shut down last March. They just opened a month ago with a little bit of a break, a month here, a month there, a month in the summer, then a little bit in the fall. But uh, technically, we just haven't seen that consumer going back into the stores. And we had to pivot completely online. Um, the same thing happened with uh, our international market. So in most of our markets, the stores have closed for a big chunk of time. Um, and so what we have been doing is we've been working closely with uh, whether it's our teams and our distributors and educating them uh, how to operate and how to drive uh, brand awareness and um, how to drive sales when all you have is direct-to-consumer with online. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it would have been more challenging if, let's say, all the countries, the stores were open and just the UK was um, the isolated um, country where no one could travel, the stores were closed if we were the only one, but it was all across the globe, the same situation. Um, so we did a lot of, uh, we organized a lot of press events online. So pretty much with every single market, we've done two press events throughout the year where we did a Zoom conference. Our distributors, let's say, invited uh, 10 journalists or press. Um, if they were able to host a breakfast, they would do that. And then we would be on screen. Um, sometimes it would be fully virtual. So everyone joined in and we would do a conference and a product launch. Um, we've also done a lot of uh, virtual training. So we have uh, a trainer and she was doing monthly trainings where um, we would have on the Zoom all of our distributors and their training staff. Um, and you know what, if you think about it, this is the first time we've done this global um, view on our training or our events. And it, it's something that we gained and something that we learned that it, it is actually possible. Um, 
And while I love traveling and I love all the buzz of being around people, it's also very expensive. So mm-hmm. it's good to know that if the budget for travel at some point is not there for us or whatever company or a distributor, that we do have a way to connect uh, virtually through um platforms such as Zoom. Uh, so yeah, was it ideal? I'd much rather be face-to-face, but I think considering the circumstances, we did manage to connect in the best way we could. Mm. And were you set up for direct-to-consumer? Because I've spoken to um, you know num- number of brands, one being, I was just thinking, Alan Barrett from Grenade, who I've just been messaging you know they just sold out to the owners of Cadbury's I think for two, 200 million and he said he'd literally spent the last two or three years before the pandemic making sure that they they had all of their carb killer bars at the, the point of sale at the you know petrol stations all of the supermarkets and then he said you know literally <laughs> overnight they had to switch everything to D to C and they're not necessarily set up by that but you know fast forward to, to where they are now and they absolutely smashed it but it obviously took a little while to readjust their strategy and go all in on, on D2C. Was, was it a similar experience for yourself or were you, you set up to easily be able to, to switch things over? Uh, we, uh, we were set up the old-fashioned way. So um, when I started the business over 18 years ago, um, online wasn't a big deal and it was, okay, well, let's have a website that you treat most like a brochure it mm-hmm. sometimes it wasn't even functional. So there was a website, but it was always uh, the afterthought. Um, and everything, all the meetings that we've had, all the presentations were geared towards wholesale and driving and supporting our uh, retailers. Um, so when the stores closed, we just had to, uh, it, it was a big shock because 75% of our sales were coming from wholesale and suddenly that wasn't available to us anymore. So we needed to very quickly uh, pivot into focusing on our own website. And um, how did we do that? Um, well, first of all, all the digital uh, content that we did were just driving to our website because in the past we would work with influencers or any content that we would create and then say, okay, go and find this at uh, Selfridges or go and find this at Harrods. So we were doing that work, but we were driving the consumer into the stores. So now we had to cut it all off and everything we did was, okay, now drive the business. So you you love this product. It's Rodialco UK and go and check it out. It's on our site. Um, so that's, that's how we did it. And it, it was it was a good timing because I mean technically people couldn't go to any of our stores so mm-hmm. if they liked what they saw they would have to go and get it from us um, so yeah we've we pivoted in a bigger way we've invested a lot more on uh, digital marketing um, anything from Facebook ads to working with influencers to um, increasing our spend with affiliates. So we just, you know, you have to tick all the points when you're doing mm-hmm. digital marketing. Um, we've uh, we've boosted the team. We brought on a few more people. And um, 
I, for the first time, and I've said this the last few months, people don't believe me. I was uh, never doing Instagram stories. I would never, like, I, I couldn't hear my voice. I couldn't look at my face. And my team was like, Maria, you know, can you do, can you show people how you use the products? This is pre-pandemic. You know, no, I don't do that. Um, I run a business. You know, I'm not a makeup artist. I'm never going to do that. And then here I am during the pandemic. And it's like, you know, I have to make myself useful. What do I do? And I have to do this. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to pick up a camera. It, I'm, I'm going to say a few things. Just really speak from my heart. How do I use the products? I may not be a makeup artist to do the perfect makeup, but I can share what I do. And I started doing this and I said, you know what? It will disappear in 24 hours. So even if I don't like, if I hate it, I never rewatch my stories, by the way. I just post them and then everyone else watches them. I never go back. So it got me out of my comfort zone in a way that I never thought that for me wasn't comfort. That comfort zone was doing big things mm. like going to speak in front of 10,000 people. That's comfort zone. But picking yeah. up a phone and recording that for me, what like it's, I don't do that. So, um, you know, that's that's how it started. And um, if I am to look at the positives over this past year, um, I've connected with uh, with our consumer in a deeper way uh, than I've connected before. And I also have created uh, some of the best products because I listened. Because it wasn't, it wasn't like, okay, well, this is a new moisturizer that I want you to try. So I sat there, I listened, I, I read my DMs, uh, people communicating with me, sharing with me what are the skincare problems, what is it that they're looking for. And I listened and I created products based on what our customer wants rather than what I think our customer wants. So even though, you know, has it been my most exciting year? Absolutely not. But, you know, if I was to take some of the uh, positives out of that, I do think that I've learned some of the best products over the last 18 years this past year. So we'll take that and then we'll start traveling again from (laughs) (laughs) And how many of those things then do you think you will you will keep doing? I'm assuming that you'll you you keep doing your stories and it will you know help you listen to continue to listen to the to the consumer more. Um, Because again I'm assuming correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, with you know, see the statistics with podcasting that you know, the 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 growth because people have been at home, they're on social media more, they're listening to podcasts more, they're consuming social media more, they're on Instagram more. Um, so your engagement rates must have must have probably gone up on your your social media channels from doing like tutorials and and those kinds of things. So would you, would you keep all that or would you reel back a little bit from it because you've got other things to focus on there? Um. I'm, I'm going to keep doing it um, in in an interesting way. Um, I also want to evolve it. So, you know, let's say in the past I used to travel to New York and then I would just show, uh, okay, well, I'm in New York, look at this, look at that, or we're having an event. Now I'm going to be communicating more in a different way. And, you know, let's say do a tutorial when I'm on jet lag or when I can't yeah. sleep when I have to go to a press event. So 
I know these are kind of superficial things, but um, I also want to move the context of I am speaking to my consumer and just stop speaking to them from my kitchen uh, mm-hmm. over the last year and speak to them from a different place, if that makes sense. Uh, and 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 do take um, our customer into my my life as it was before the pandemic because they haven't seen that they've only seen my kitchen and my living room and we've all you know over the past year so i'm excited to see how i can evolve this because then equally um i think that in every industry we all need to reinvent ourselves and there's the consumer fatigue and after you keep on doing the same thing there's a point that people have seen it again and again and again and you need to come up with a slightly different um, concept to keep things interesting to keep it fresh and um yeah i think that for me running this business for over 18 years um this has been not my challenge, but how do you still wake up every morning getting being excited about what you do and producing fresh content, fresh ideas 18 years later? It's not easy. No, it's not no. easy. But that's what you have to do if you if you want to have success that is sustainable and it it's you know it, it's success that lasts. You just have to reinvent yourself and come up with new ideas, new concepts, and and uh, yeah, just keep keep consumers interested and excited. Yeah, because you, you, you're still going to be attracting a new audience who are a completely different audience than when you started, you know, 18, 19, 20 years ago. I, mean, I was chatting to Rowena Bird, one of the co-founders of Lush, um, and they'd been, you know, initially hit massively hard with the pandemic because they didn't have a d2c offering they literally just had a thousand stores you know all around the world and that's how they did it so they literally had to build you know an e-commerce site in 30 days had to literally shut everything down um and try and turn their shops into distribution channels instead for their products um and you know They've been going for 25 years. It was their 25th anniversary last year. And I remember chatting to Rowena and she was saying, you know, the, the audience, because I was saying, you know, my kids, you know, they go and spend their pocket money in Lush. And I was saying, you know, that audience of like th- this year's 14-year-olds, they weren't even alive when you started the brand. So your audience is, is changed and you do need to, I agree, you know, it, whether you're in the music business or, or or in the beauty business, the fashion business, you have to reinvent yourself to keep, keep yourself interested as well, I guess, as well. And yeah. I agree, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, again, I'm sick of doing these kinds of things at home and I'm looking to get back into the studio and get traveling again and meeting people in, in their environments as well. And I think especially with what you do, that the fact, the, the traveling element and also the fashion element, because I know you're, you know, massive fan of fashion, that that is going to be incredibly attractive to your audience have been cooped up indoors for the last 15 months yeah. and haven't been able to do any of those things. So it's, it's a little aspirational as well, isn't it? Like the brand you've created and the lifestyle that people can see. Yeah, I mean, exactly as you said, I mean, over the years, I I look back and I see how many missed opportunities that I've had uh, communicating better with with my audience. So, you know, I'm at at a fashion show. uh, Rodiel is doing the backstage. I'm there with the models, with the designers. I could have picked up the phone and and talked and and given everyone the the background and, and going a little bit deeper into what we do. But all I did was just take some beautiful images and post them and that was it so it's 
it's kind of interesting, as you said, work. I will take that daily speaking vlogs or whatever that's called on, on my stories. When I take this outside my home, mm. how can I just keep on doing it, but in a fresh way when the world opens? So let's see. Let's see. And how are you going to integrate that into, into Clubhouse as well, Maria? That's the question. Yeah, Clubhouse. Yeah, let's uh, let's see. So yeah, I got I got obsessed. I had an obsession with Clubhouse, and now I've uh, uh, yeah, I've uh, I'm just uh, assessing the situation. Let's just say, yeah. Yeah, no, it's in- interesting, and I, and I'm I'm going to finish up now because I, as always, I could speak to you for hours, but I know you got a busy uh, busy life, um, and we've got another guest coming on in 15 minutes, so I will wrap up. But um, interestingly, um, when Andro- Android users came onto Clubhouse over the weekend, all of a sudden, seen that second wave like yesterday, hosted a room, and it was 2,000 people, and it, it rolled over for three hours instead of an hour and a half because there were so many new people coming into the room for the first time. So um, it is interesting. And I've just bought a new bit of kit, which, uh, you know, you hook up to your your iPad and you hook up um, to your phone or your laptop and you can literally, you know, pipe this, what we're recording now, video into Clubhouse at the same time. And then you could also stream it if you wanted into YouTube or Instagram or Facebook. So, um, yeah, always interested in new ways to repurpose, you know, that moment that you're doing something and and make it live longer. So interesting. (laughs) Right, Maria. Well, I look forward to meeting up with you again in person, hopefully this year at some point. Be good to catch up, meet up in London or something. Amazing. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, It's been a pleasure. What an interesting conversation to get me out of my emails this morning. So thank you for having (laughs) me and thanks for watching everyone. Have a good day. So a little bit different from when Maria and I met up a couple of years ago at her company's headquarters in Chelsea. I had a great day out, came back overladen with goodies to bring back home to my girls from Rodeo and Maria. So we reconnected on Clubhouse after a couple of years since I met up with her then, and it was really good to chat about how things were opening up again. Both have a shared love of travel and a shared love of Clubhouse as well. So a couple of things I wanted to touch on many times uh, in the past when I've been um, representing as a moderator the American Chamber of Commerce in the UK. We do a case study and talk about a business that has expanded into the US and how it's good to hire locally, to understand the market more, to have feet on the ground, to understand how a consumer in that country shops, how the store operates, what the customer wants, um, and essentially how they shop differently to your customers or how they might do so back in your original country. So interested to hear Maria doing the same as that because other people, you know, go in the opposite direction and they bring people in from their HQ in the country where they're based and parachute them in. We also chatted about when you want to market internationally, remembering that different parts of the world has different preferences, that you have to cater to the different needs of your different markets. I think the key word here is different. Even in the US, they operate as 
52 different countries. Every state has different laws. So you just have to be super careful. And it's interesting how Maria's business operates with different distributors for the brand as well. And touching on the pandemic, you know, the biggest lesson about being paying attention to your digital marketing offer. How many times in the last year or so have I chatted to the likes of um, Huel, Grenade, you know, James and Al, those guys, um, Double Dutch Sisters as well, the twins, about going all in on the direct-to-consumer offering, about paying attention to your digital marketing, your website, your social media. And I found it super, super interesting listening to how Maria, who has nearly a million followers on her uh, Instagram, at Mrs. Rody Alicant, about how she listened and then communicated with her audience in a very different way than she had done in the past. And as she said, it's been revolutionary in regards to uh, the products that they have invented and how it's a great way to really, really get to know your audience. And she'd always shied away from doing those, those Instagram lives, but she's found them hugely beneficial to the longevity of her uh, business during the pandemic. So um, super interesting discussion. Um, I've chatted to Maria for hours, both especially online on Clubhouse, also chatted to her offline. So it was great to catch up uh, on a live recording for this show for you. So I hope you really enjoyed that. Have a great week and a great uh, weekend ahead. If you'd like to learn how to launch and grow your own number one rated podcast like this, with zero experience, zero knowledge, and zero tech skills, come and join me at ultimatepodcastmastery.com where I've just launched for a limited number of people a brand new podcast membership course. So you'll get access to my Ultimate Podcast Mastery membership course. You'll get my digital workbook, my progress sheet, my launch checklist, and all of the nitty-gritty cheat sheets, templates, and scripts the Podpreneur way. You'll also get weekly live Q&A with me, exclusive WhatsApp group chat, and entry to my private Facebook group, as well as access to all my past interviews and trainings with special guests as well. This is available for a limited time for a limited number of people. So once it's gone, it's gone. But if you'd like to learn how to do exactly what I'm doing now, then I'll show you how. Head on over to ultimatepodcastmastery.com. Over the last four years of this show, I've detailed the habits, routines and rituals of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Where I found I needed a little help was in my evening routine, especially how I unwind before bed. Do you have a routine or do you leave it to chance? Some of the most talked about things you can do include putting your phone down, switching your screen off an hour or so before bed, stretching, taking a hot shower and not eating rich food or drinking alcohol too close to bedtime. These are great ideas, but not everybody's lifestyle can accommodate them. 
Which is why I decided to take a deep sleep nootropic called Boost, brought to you by Pure Sports CBD called Unwind. It helps you both get to sleep and helps your sleep quality too. So I've partnered with Pure Sports CBD to provide a premium and trusted natural product to help you as a busy entrepreneur go further. You can get 20% off their entire range by going to puresportcbd.com and entering the code JUSTDOIT20. That's just do it two zero. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you if you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. I promise to reply. Just give me a little time.